and welcome to Recovery Internet Radio. We are broadcast live and direct from Straight Stuff Studios. Thanks for joining us this evening. We broadcast live every Sunday at 7 p.m. You can also go to our website, recoveryinternetradio.com, and listen live on Sundays at 7 to 8, or you can link to our archives and listen to any past shows that you might have missed, download it as a podcast, and take us on the go, whether you're in the car or at the gym. Uh, or just bored at work and, you know, you want something positive to listen to. So thanks for being here. You can also uh, find us on Facebook at Recovery Internet Radio and follow us on Twitter at Rick Atwater. We try to check the tweets during the show. So if you have questions or comments, please contact us that way and we will see it. Anyway, uh, like I said, thanks for being here tonight. I'm going to pass it over to our host this week and every week, Mr. Rick Atwater. Welcome to the listeners and welcome to you, Jeff, and thanks for coming, and let me just, so let's, let me start by just asking you, I know we were talking a little bit about how you got started really young, mm-hmm. almost like it shocked me how young. Yeah, I was seven. <laughs> yeah, seven. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if I've heard anybody say seven. I've heard like 10 or 11, but well, seven? Well, my friend Steve um, used to steal drugs from his mother, Yeah. that she had her prescription drugs, and we would take them at the bus stop, and I would go to second grade. You know? Did you know what they were? I knew they were pills, but I didn't really, I never really thought about, you know, what they were. We were just doing them, you know. They made you feel funny. So we just did them. <laughs> and I probably wouldn't have done them at seven, except for he just brought them, so we did them, you know. It's just, yeah, so now I've got my mom's pills again. Okay, let's do them. Let's just, let's just huh? take these pills. So this was, like, what year would that have been? Oh, gosh. What year would that have been? Like, how many years 68, ago? 68, 1968. 68? Uh-huh. Yeah, you're pretty old. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're up there. I'm right up there. Okay, so, so 19, the reason I ask is this. But it was real popular to do drugs back then. Well, of course yeah. it was. Yeah, it was like, that's what, that's what you were supposed to do. Uh-huh. That's, what your uh-huh. mom, that's what your mom, you know, your mom, your dad, that's what they were doing. But, so I was just trying to think, the reason I ask about the, the uh, age is because that would determine... The uh, decades kind of determined the type of pill you were probably taking. Yeah. Probably taking Valiums or maybe even the ones before that were called Milltowns. Do you remember those? No, no, I don't remember Milltowns. But yeah, yeah, I never did Valiums until later, till later on. So did you even know what those pills were you were taking? Well, no, I have no idea. Okay. You know, I just I think they were downers. Yeah. Because we got all you know kind of mellowed out and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. They, you know. So they could yeah, have been. So. They could have been. Uh, maybe Darvisets, or they could have been uh, if they were pain pills. Or yeah, I mean you know, but we can play around uh-huh. all day long uh-huh. and not know since you didn't know. No, <laughs> I'd love to just sort of say <laughs> Now I never really knew what I was doing. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know what I was doing when I was doing um, when we used to do acid. I was about ten or eleven or something like that, and uh, we were doing acid, and I never knew it was LSD until I had a real bad trip, and they went. I went to the hospital, and they told me that it was LSD that I was doing, and I was like going, "Oh my God, that's really." Kind of strong, but I didn't know what it was. I had now, no idea. Yeah, was it was it uh, window pane or was it pills? Or it was, was it? window pane, and they had something. What was that called? Well, there was purple microdot and window pane and and all that, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, and that yeah. would have been yeah. I mean, and for people today to hear that, they call it something. Um, that that wouldn't be Beavis and Butthead. You know, they have just little pictures on on pieces of paper. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's just another way of packaging it. Yeah, it's just yeah. The packaging. Yeah. And also, and probably also the purity, because then there was a lot less. Uh, Ours was cut with a lot of strychnine, strychnine, as I remember. Really? Yeah, it used to upset your stomach a lot. Is but that what and it put you in the hospital, or it put me in the hospital because um, because somehow I just crossed over a line somewhere. I really didn't even do that much. It's just that I crossed over a line, and somehow I didn't. I didn't know what reality was anymore. It was just... It, oh, you, yeah. you basically lost your shit. I, I lost my shit real hard. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what reality was or and where I was. What, that's what got you the I didn't remember part of the whole night that I was there. And I was like, it was like a blackout on LSD. You know what I mean? So, it, right. it, yeah, I just didn't remember the thing. Was yeah. A lot of, yeah. Yeah. People, I think people that, that have taken acid would understand. But really, basically, we just did whatever came through the neighborhood. And you were like, it sounds like you were kind of like an innocent. In, in the, I mean, not, 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 not an innocent about taking it. It wasn't like, oh, this is a horrible, bad thing to do. This is just what we do. No, this is what all the people in my neighborhood were doing. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean, I was just a little younger than a lot of them, but, you know. Did you hang out with older kids? Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. yeah. They were about three or four years older than I was. So that, you know, I mean, yeah, why? 
I was looking for uh, a male role model. I was looking for, um, you know, somebody to just to lead because I didn't know where I was going. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was really yeah. easy that way. And you were missing, you were missing that. I was missing that at home because my parents were working so hard and my father was going through financial difficulty at the time. But you know what I mean? He just was at work all the time and had two jobs and really did a lot to support us and did a lot for all that kind of stuff. He just didn't realize that I was, I was at home being lost by myself and didn't know it and didn't, had no, no leadership in my life to where, know where I was going to. Do you have uh, siblings? <clears throat> I have two sisters. And they were disasters too. Well, no, no not as much. <laughs> my older sister was. She, she's also an alcoholic and she's been sober for about 18 years now. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, she was. My grandmother was an alcoholic and my father was, you know, function, high functioning alcoholic. So it, yeah, it, it just kinda, yeah, it kind of runs that way. Yeah, but she ran in the same kind of neighborhoods that I did too when we were younger. Are you uh, are you older or young? How how do you? Um, she's my older sister. I'm the middle child. Oh, you're middle. The okay. well-adjusted one. The well-adjusted one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's debatable, but you know, I mean, it's like what is well-adjusted? Well, that's another. That's but the thing is, is when 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 at that age when I was doing drugs and all um doing drugs and, and experimenting with stuff like that i was doing it also to fit in you know what i mean that's kind of one of the normal things you do because your friends are all doing it so you're going to do it too and all right, that kind right. of stuff but then the motivation behind fitting in was i was also looking for something you know what i mean i was looking for something more than i had right. i was looking for uh like a, a friend who was older than i was to kind of lead me through something or show me something you know what i mean i was searching the whole time Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things that kids do because they don't know anything and everything's a new experience for them. And once it becomes a new experience for them, then they, they start looking and, and trying things out. Right. And if there's no one there to guide them during that period, it really can be a rough time. It's like we were talking before about how, it's, in a way, what you were doing is similar to kids who get into gangs. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. Same. You want to fit in. You want to be a part. You a know, part of something. Yes. Yeah, and you're looking. Those kids who, are, who get into gangs are, are looking for something. They're looking for a family. They're looking for uh, to belong with all that. You know, and everybody yeah. understands wanting to belong. Yeah. You just can't help that. Why do you think, I mean, this is kind of a philosophical question, but why do you, why do you think people are driven to belong? So, I mean, what is that about? I think that that's kind of what we're programmed to do. Yeah, you know, part of the human condition. We're just pack animals. You know, we really are. I mean, you got people got married and, and they, they dragged their wife along with them and their kids and all that kind of stuff. And, right. and then they had other families, you know, members, brothers and sisters around them and they dragged their wives and their kids. And we were just a bunch of pack animals, right. you know, and so we always wanted to just belong and be yeah. there. Yeah. Like a herd. Like a herd. Yeah. We're not that lone, that lone lion out we're there. We're not designed no, to be. No, we're not. Yeah, and I've heard the phrase, get into the middle of the pet, in the middle of the herd and stay there. Don't be a stray. Don't get out along the edges because those are the ones that get eaten, right? Uh-huh. Because yeah. if, if, you don't, if you don't find your pack, you know what I mean, you'll go looking for it. If you're not born into it and that kind of thing, you're going to go looking for a pack. You're going to go looking for friends who have the same ideas. And, and even if you want to be a rebel, then people go looking for, you know, rebellious causes to go on. You know, these are all things. Do you think that there are some people that, that arrive and are always part of something, and then there are some people, you know, I mean, we, we, haven't, we haven't said anything yet about, about Alcoholics Anonymous, but I've heard that it's like, uh, it's also called the Society of Loners. <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. I or, can or, see or that. The, uh, and sometimes biggest, it's real. The biggest group of misfits, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's sometimes it's, it's, you know what I mean, Alcoholics Anonymous is a, is a wonderful thing just to, just to sit there and bounce ideas off of other people, and just to sit there and, and hear how they deal with life and what their expressions are about life. You know, it's it's difficult out there, and you're still looking for answers. You're still looking for for things out there that make sense to you again. Well, yeah, maybe that's part of the whole belonging thing is that somehow or another, belonging to something bigger. And we'll talk about the bigger, I guess, is is maybe where we're headed because belonging to something brings in something bigger than you, and makes things more understandable, or gives you purpose, or. Mm -hmm. All, all of those things, I think, that people need to be uh, fulfilled, uh -huh. I guess. Yeah, yeah. You I know. mean, there are people who run out there with um, with cults, and, uh, you know, they're looking for something and somebody. And, and I know there are a lot of people in Alcoholics Anonymous who come in looking for something or somebody. And 
it's a real healthy way in Alcoholics Anonymous to find something, to find a group of people who understand what you're talking about, to, to become one with the, with the group. And I think that part of the strength from Alcoholics Anonymous is the group. Mm-hmm. It is the pact. You know what I mean? It's we all, the pact. It's the pact. That's we the all word. deal with it. Yeah, we all deal with it together. And you've done it before, and I'm listening to how you did it and what's going on, and, and you're helping me through it. Right. Yeah. And, I, and well, you, another thing you've, you've, ta- you've said and we've talked about here off, off air or outside of here is that you're a good listener. Yeah. Did you arrive being a good listener, or was that, out of, uh, was that a lifeboat thing, like you had to be a good listener to, to survive, or... Where did that come from? Or were you just, were you I just love people's stories. I like to hear about their lives, you know, and what they're doing and what motivates them. And, That's and, probably um, why this is so bizarre for you because <laughs> I'm doing the listening and you're doing the talking. <laughs> yeah, I'm not used to that. <laughs> yeah, right. It's usually me the other way around. Well, see, maybe, maybe someday, see, this is a good idea for you, baby. Yeah. We'll, get some, we'll, get the, we'll switch the chairs and see where that goes. So, okay, so the word alienation. I, I, I was playing with that as I was talking about, you know, we were talking about you not belonging. I guess alienation is another way to say not belonging. Mm-hmm. Would, you, would do you relate to that word? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's real hard when you grow up and, and you're you're kind of an outsider and a lot on your own. Um, like my family was my family was busy all the time. And my older sister was off being rebellious on her own. And you just don't know how... It takes practice to fit in. It takes practice to be part of a group. It takes practice to be... Um, to allow yourself to actually um, be a one-to-one conversation with somebody else. Yeah. It takes practice. You know what I mean? It, it really does. And, and for some people, it's a difficult thing. But that's one of the reasons that I think that AA was really wonderful is because it, when you're practicing something and, and you're in AA... It is, um, it's a total acceptance. Hmm. These people feel what you feel and know what you've, what you've gone through. And even if they can't relate to what you're talking about, they know your feelings that you're feeling at the moment you're talking about them. You know? And I understand that. And I, I've also heard people say, well, this is probably people who are like new and not very good at fitting in, who will say, oh, I feel, I feel judged, or that guy was so harsh with me, or that kind of stuff. But isn't isn't that the whole thing? I mean, isn't that the whole thing that that it takes a lot of pain to get in to do something to change yourself? Yeah. You know what I mean? And in, for, in order for you to look beyond feeling judged and look beyond that that guy just kind of looked at me wrong, you know what I mean? Right. You have to be in a lot of pain to stick around and do it. And right. you have to swallow a lot to right. stick around and do it. Because right. I'm in pain and I hurt and I've got to find something. And I'm going to listen. And, and, and so, in other words, it's a sort of, in a way, it's a self-select. You have to, you have to want to... Go, be willing to go through that pain and be forced to go through it. Stuff. Yeah, and to be forced to it. Yeah, I've got to have a. a it's, it's the wall or the highway. You know what I mean? I've got to be right there because there's nowhere else I can go. So let me let, let's let me uh, back up a little bit and ask you about like so when you were young and you were doing the drugs that you were doing. Looking back at it now, do you think that that doing the drugs at that time affected you? Uh, well, how do you think that? How do you think that that affected you? you I know, think personality-wise, always, developmentally, that kind of stuff. They always say that um, that you you stop growing at the age you start drinking, or you stop growing at the age you start doing drugs. And I really believe that, but I believe that you stop growing because it's a you stop growing spiritually, you stop growing mentally, you stop growing emotionally, and you use alcohol. Every bad situation I get into, I use alcohol to overcome. The situation, all the feelings that I'm having for or all the experiences that I'm having, I'm covering them up with alcohol. So I never really learn um, how to deal with hurts or how to deal with excitement or, you know, I'm sitting here in this room doing this talk and I'm not, I don't know how to deal with being the center of attention. These are things that, that you, you know, that you learn when you go into Alcoholics Anonymous because... You just have to. I mean, so it's those, alienation. Are the things, those are the things that you would, would those. That's how you would miss it, like by by using, you know. Oh yeah, it. oh yeah. That's how you miss the. the I miss the growing up. All the developmental stuff. Yeah, because it, it's there's not, people out there that do. They do learn that stuff. They do learn how to, you know, interact, how to whatever, all, all those things. That you, that yeah, you but but do they really learn it inside emotionally and, and you know, really inside their heart? They're not just little kids still trying to. They've learned to act around it. 
you know, but I really believe that, that most people, when you walk through life and you've got a heroin addiction or you've got some kind of a, a, an alcohol problem, you are covering up. And if you don't go out there to experience the feelings that you're feeling or to talk to these people and, and just live life, you're not living life, then you're not experiencing things, then you're not growing. Right. If we don't grow and feel the pains of life or, or feel the happinesses of life, we're not going to grow at all. Yeah. We just don't. So, it, so was it your experience that, that you really didn't start growing until you got sober? Yeah. I was an emotional little kid, <laughs> you know, especially in relationships, you know. Right. With, oh, yeah, that was real hard because uh, I was just, I was looking for love and I was looking for somebody, you know, because I lost my best friend. I lost the, the, the pain-killing numbing. Was my best what's, what's a little kid like in, in I mean, what's a little kid like in a relationship? What's a, like, what's it like to be in a relationship when you're 10 and they're 25? Uh, what's that like? Embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally, totally embarrassing. Like you have like tantrums and stuff? Oh, or? you know, you just hurt and you get jealous and you just don't know and you're insecure and they don't like me and they do like me and you're a 16-year-old girl. You know yeah. what I mean? Really, yeah, yeah. it's really terrible. Yeah. It's absolutely awful. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound. It does not sound pleasant. Yeah, but the problem is, is that most of the people that you get involved with when you first start getting involved with people again are not usually the most balanced people. Right. So they're not there to try and help you, and then then you start to realize that you're codependent, <laughs> that you really need to. Um, Really need to take up another program. <laughs> I just I need some help here because I just every little emotion that they're having, I'm having with them. You know. Yeah, this is not. Yeah, good. I'm twelve. Yeah. Yeah, you're I'm a real twelve, 12 year old kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's what somebody said once? Yeah, you can tell you're codependent when 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 you're when you're dying and somebody else's life passes before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's about it. It's it's just scary. That's about it. So when so then you. Uh, were using when you were young, and then that that continued uh, for for quite some time. And what were, what was the the progression of that? Well, um, I started out just doing doing drugs that people gave me, like at the bus stop and that kind of stuff. And then yeah. we started smoking pot, you know, and it, it became a progression. And then I started we started doing LSD, and I did some tick, and and you know I did crystal meth and coke, and, and you know, but crystal meth and coke and all that weren't. To later on in the time, but I was just doing everything that was popular at the time. And we were talking about we were talking about tick, and I and then we're, neither of us are entirely sure, but we're I think thinking it's PCP. It was PCP. I think it's PCP. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you like we're so casually doing this devastating. Oh, on the way to the eighth animal, grade too. Animal I, tranquilizer. I did this big old line of the stuff, and, and on the way to the eighth grade, and then walked to school, which you know? makes you feel like Superman and be con- uh-huh, totally, uh-huh. totally um, physically and mentally out of control. And I was laughing to myself. I was thinking, I think I even said to you, I said, you must have been a real joy to have in class. You know, like, did you? Get, how were your grades? They weren't as wonderful as they should have been. And I really acted out a lot because I was looking for attention. I needed somebody. I wasn't getting it at home. So I needed attention. So I acted out a little bit. Yeah. You know, I could, you could try and put on the persona of being the funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then that, you got a little attention. I got a little attention, and that's what I was craving. That's what I needed. Well, you know, you know. Yeah. When you're, yeah, when you're, when you're high on PCP, I suppose. <laughs> you see to be well, that's the funny part about it is that I got high on PCP and, and went to school with it, but then started feeling sick later on about 1 o'clock or something like that because I did the, this big old huge line at, at 8, and then about 1 o'clock I was feeling sick, and I went to the nurse's office because I didn't even think that, you know. That might be, have something to do with your well, body I, withdrawing from the PCP? Or? It's just that I didn't think of the consequences of it because... I just thought it was a really innocent thing. We're just doing drugs. You know what I mean? And yeah. I wouldn't tell her I was doing drugs, but I, I should have thought that it definitely was because you're high. But you it know? never occurred to you? No, I just, you know, it doesn't feel well, so I went to the nurse's office. Kind of oblivious to the world. And so that's, eight, that's like eighth grade That's like eighth grade yeah. yeah. Okay. How about high school? What was that like? Uh, gosh, what was high school like? I was real introverted in high school. I'd done all the, the going out and partying and all that kind of stuff in... And, and, Really, kind of suffered a little bit because um, because I wasn't I was just I was stoned in high school and I just I didn't going through school when I was younger I didn't pay much attention to school so when I got into high school I had to work a little bit harder to try and keep up with all the stuff yeah and then I just got stoned and I didn't worry about it yeah. you know yeah so you didn't bother to, so did you keep up or no yeah I graduated you know and did all yeah. that kind of stuff. 
but I was just, I was high and drunk. And in somewhere around high school, around the age of 14, I discovered alcohol. And so alcohol became my, my wonder drug. I just loved it. It was just, it made me feel like I was whole and a real person. And there was nobody out there that, you know, that I couldn't talk to or do stuff with or, you know, nobody was better than I was anymore. How, what, what do you think, the, I mean, no, nothing had done that for you until that time. Not really. Not, I mean, alcohol was really the, the wonder one. That was the wonder drug for you. Uh-huh, it was. Everybody seems, everybody who's got an addictions problem seems to have a wonder drug. Uh-huh. You know, that this is the one. Or they might have multiple wonder drugs, I suppose, over time. Different ones do, do the same thing. Combinations really work well. But, yeah. 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 yeah never try? No. <laughs> <laughs> what about, let's see, if you mix a little of this, you know, uh-huh. better living through chemistry. But so anyway. They have those called party mixers now. Yeah, that's yeah, right. it's a party mix. Uh-huh. Yeah, or the, yeah, farming where everybody brings the pills, uh-huh. throws them in there. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that wasn't happening in. Was that happening in your day? You know, I heard about them in, back in the '60s. I remember yeah. hearing about stuff like that, but no, we didn't. I didn't run in crowds that did all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, my dad was a chemist. He worked for a pharmaceutical. Company. Oh, well, you had all so sorts of good I, stuff. If I, it, well, if I if I wanted to, I, I didn't. I mean, I did. That wasn't. You know, that wasn't something that I thought of i probably would have done it if i thought of it uh-huh nevertheless so okay so take so take me to the next level after after high school now so what's happening um when i was about what was i i was 17 years old and i uh was on a vacation visiting my grandparents and they lived in oklahoma and i was really bored and i like to read and so i just went through my grandmother's books and i read a book called the late great planet earth which had some interesting thoughts to it and had some interesting, but his, all of his ideas didn't come the way he was talking about them. But it was the first time that I ever really thought it was about something spiritually. It was the first time that I ever really um, had, it was the first time I was introduced to something spiritually, something more than I was. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I remember... Um, and you were, you were attracted to that? I was attracted to that, well, yeah. I was attracted to that, I was attracted to the, the concept of it. Yeah. You know, I really liked the the whole... Um, somebody out there loved you and somebody out there was doing all that kind of stuff. And, and so I just decided that I needed to um, go from that book, which made me think, well, maybe I need to look at this. And so I went and looked at it, and then I started reading the Bible. And I went through that for a while and read it. I've read the Bible like six or seven times all the way through mm-hmm. and um, started to believe in it. And the problem was with that is that sometimes God just doesn't, I can't walk down to his house. I can walk down to his house and say it's church, but I can't walk down to his house and knock on the door and have a one-to-one conversation with him like I'd like. Right. I learned later on on how you, get, you have a conversation with God and, and about Elijah running through the, the wilderness looking for God mm-hmm. and going to Mount Sinai. And um, I learned how he was talking about his, that still quiet voice because you can talk all you want to to God and you can say all sorts of stuff, but in order to kind of make it a one-to-one conversation, you have to shut up and let him talk. And so um, I remember the first time it happened to me, I was sitting in the back of my house, and I was wanting God to talk to me. I really wanted him to talk to me. I, I sat down by the creek behind my house and said, I'm not leaving until you talk to me. And I just sat there for hours and just sat there. And all of a sudden, he did. He talked to me. He told me that... that um, the kingdom of God is here now, Jeff. And it, it never occurred to me that that being a Christian the way that he was talking in the in the Bible, being that Christian that you were actually a member of another kingdom. Like I was a member, a uh, citizen of the United States. I was also a citizen of heaven. And if I was a citizen of heaven, I had the rights that people in heaven have. Hmm. I have the rights to, to go to God and stand before him with my troubles. I have the right to have him talk back to me. Hmm. So, I, you know, if I really, really need to talk to God, I just go out there and talk to him, and I sit there until he talks back. And in a, in a way, that's a, a belonging uh, event. Yes, yes you it is. You have the right to. I, yeah. You're a part of. But it's really strange when the hmm. first time that you all of a sudden you're not thinking of anything in the, in the direction it comes, and it's like a still voice. It's like something in your head goes completely still. Like, I don't know what it is. It's just so, it's real odd. It's real still, and it's real quiet, and all of a sudden you think something that you've never thought before, and it's like, my God, something just spoke to me, and I have never had this happen before. And did you know, I mean, were you, were you 
I was looking. Yeah, it was because I was waiting. I was sitting there waiting for him to talk to me, and he finally did. So, I mean, some people would say that, you know, you, um, you know, some people come to recovery and have a spiritual experience. You had a spiritual experience before, which became some some way as we as we talk. Maybe we'll go a little further with this. How it became part of your recovery. Well, because it went from there. Yeah. Just because I. just because I understood that there was a God and just because I understood that his presence was there doesn't mean that um, that all the emotional problems and all my alcoholism, uh, all my addictions that I was suffering and the way that I dealt with life changed. Yeah. I mean, I could I could sit there and just and pray about it and pray about it and pray about it, you know, but it just it nothing changed. It's one of those things where. You know, you want to say, well, I'm just going to sit home and wait for God to bring me this job. No, you can't do that. The farmer does not, if God gives you a plant, you've got to plant the seeds to get the bounty, to right. get the harvest, right. you know, and you've got to harvest it in order to get out there. So but what did you think at the time? I mean, we're, well, first of all, did you, did you have in your mind, had, did you know you were addicted or an alcoholic? Was that, was that a concept that you had framed up yet when you were at that age? No. 17 or 18? No. No, you were still just doing your thing. Uh huh. So, I, so I, when, when, how much further did you have to go before you before the? Well, I spent about three years. Um, I quit smoking. I'd smoked since I was ten years old. Inhaled cigarettes since I was ten years old, and I quit smoking about the age of, uh, gosh, it was like about eighteen. And I quit drinking and I quit doing everything for like two or three years because I just it was just me and, and God and, and I had a spiritual experience and I was mm-hmm. doing all that. But the problem was is that I didn't know how to deal with life and not knowing how to deal with life. And I knew God was there and I knew God would help me and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't know how to deal with life. And so not knowing how to deal with life drew me back into alcohol because I was comfortable in alcohol right. because it gave me that physical feeling of, of being everything's okay. So you didn't quit doing those things because in your mind you were addicted. You quit doing those things because, because God I, kind of replaced that in some respects. Yeah. Or is it, that not it, the right way to Well, no, it. it is replace it, but... But it's also kind of like set you free from it, you know. There's both things. Yeah, there's both things. Yeah, you do. And because a lot of things that, you know, even even people talk about AA is um, you go to AA and you just replace your drinking. Well, you know what? Bill and Bob talked about friendship is the thing, you know, uh, socializing friendship is the thing that replaces alcohol in the beginning. It just does. There's something else there that you focus on and you look towards and you try to escape to. So in other words, if somebody says, you know, yeah, you, you, you replace one addiction with another, the answer uh-huh. is yes. Uh-huh. The <laughs> in, only, in, a, in a sense, yes. The only thing with God is that, um, is that you replace one addiction with another, and, and I replaced um, my addiction. I, I looked towards something else besides alcohol and drugs. It kind of gave me that, that up, that I lifted up my head. I looked towards something else, and uh, looking towards something else um, turned out to talk back. And that's what re- it became a reality. And then, and that then that was you different. started. But then, after after three years, after three that's years, quite a while. Yeah, and that's a. I mean, that's the t- from the time you were eighteen till twenty one or uh-huh, seventeen to twenty uh-huh. in there. And I moved away from um, from I moved to Wisconsin from Pennsylvania, and I was by myself and alone and lonely. And that's one thing that an alcoholic always has to watch for: is hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Yeah. And I was lonely, and I was by myself. And I remembered the comfort of, of having a beer. So I just had a couple beers. Yeah. And it went on like that for a good six months. You know, I'd yeah. go off and have a couple beers and never drank that much. And then it snowballed. Yeah. And then you it know. took off. And then it took off. So let's do this. Let's take, let's take a brief break here. Thank you for being with us here tonight. We're going to take a quick break, listen to a little tune from the Rascals called People Gotta Be Free. We'll be back with you in just a moment.
Recovery Internet Radio. Remember, you can always check us out at recoveryinternetradio.com. Follow us on Facebook at Recovery Internet Radio, or uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at Rick Atwater. If you have questions or concerns, please feel free to get a hold of us. Thanks for listening tonight. Uh, we're going to get right back to it. And all the guilt that I had, I got drunk over it, and all the hurts that I had, and all the the failures that I thought I have, was was doing, I got drunk over. Yeah. You know, it was really, it was a safe haven. And I was really comfortable being drunk. That's one of the things that, that people look at alcohol and go, oh my God, they're just a bum on the street and everything like that. No, there's a long period of time where you are comfortable and you are happy being drunk. Mm-hmm. And that is just, you know, and maybe add a few drugs in with it, you know. But I'm just really, really comfortable. And I started to realize I was an alcoholic, but didn't want to do anything about it. I was happy being drunk and I thought, well, I'm happy and I'm yeah. not going to do anything. And so what's... Yeah. So yeah. Where's the problem? Where's the problem? <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not accomplishing as much as we want to accomplish in life, but I'm having a good time, and I was having a good time. I really yeah. was. But and, you know, I mean, people say alcohol. I mean, alcohol works. Yeah. For for a period of time, and if it's your miracle drug and it makes you feel good about yourself, uh-huh. and it makes you you know makes you super you know super jeffed. You know, for a period of time, where's the problem? Until 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 that's my next question, of course. Until well. It's just alcohol is is like an animal. It just it was so hungry and it just kept eating part of my life and eating part of my life that I was drinking more and it just it became easier to drink. And then I got introduced to cocaine, and cocaine would just sober me up so I could drink more. Mm-hmm. And so I went from drinking like you know eight or ten drinks a night to like drinking twenty four drinks a night. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, really, it was like you just do a couple of bumps of coke and you're just sober all over again and you just drink all night long. So I was drinking from I would say. 10 o'clock at night until 6 or 7 in the morning, every day. Every single day I was doing that. And my body was starting to rebel from it. Mm-hmm. And I added all the cocaine into it, and the cocaine would keep you up, and then you'd have anxiety attacks, and, and you went through all sorts of stuff. And then I got into crystal meth, and crystal meth would just, you could just be up forever on crystal meth. It was just, it was horrible. Um, How but, long is forever? 72 hours? Oh, yeah. You could do that easy. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I never made it more than 20. Yeah, you know, I just—I knew someone in the back of my head. I had to get into bed whether I wanted to or not. So how did you get to sleep? I laid there a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, you just can't help it. Right. I laid there and and played off scenarios in my head, you know, being like I would just go over old books that I read, or I would watch the, I'd watch Star Trek or something like that, and just kind of and if the head peacefully push, out. I don't know what would. Yeah, just peacefully out, and everything was just okay then. Right. Yeah, I just needed something else to think about, but what the world was. Right. But it got to a point that, that it got so bad that I didn't know... Um, Were you living by yourself then, or did you have roommates? Or uh, At the end, I, I was living by myself. You know what I mean? You just... I had friends, and, and my parents had died a little bit before that, and so they, I had money. And so since you have money, you have friends. Right. You know, especially out there in the drinking world, because nobody has anything. They've drank and drugged it all. Right. And so... Yeah, yeah, you have you friends. Money, if you, you got have money, money, you have friends. You yeah, know. you really do. So um, the only reason that I really started to, to stop is because I started waking up. I went, didn't get up till 3 o'clock every afternoon, and I would go to work at 4, and then I would get up by 10, and then I would go out and drink. But I started waking up, and then if I was off, I would be drinking by about 5. So if you think that you got up at 6, and you're drinking by 8 o'clock in the morning if you had a normal schedule... That kind of became a problem, and my both of my parents passed on, 
and that was really hurtful. And then my roommate, I had a roommate for a while, and he committed suicide. Um, he used to shoot um, shoot coke uh, intravenously, and um, he committed suicide because of the depression that came onto it. And so I lost someone who was kind of like my little brother. And then uh, I had a relationship going on, which I haven't talked about, but I had a relationship going on, and I broke up with my, with my lover that I had for nine years. And during that whole thing, which he introduced me to most of the drugs that I did, um, but hmm. between the four incidents, between mom and dad dying within a year apiece, and then my, losing, your, my yeah, losing my parents, losing your little brother, and then losing my little brother, and then losing, yeah, and then losing a relationship that I depended on, I went through depression. Hmm. I went through depression so bad it was more it was more despair than it was depression, and that's a real hard place. If you're ever in despair, you know it. It's just, it's like depression and you dig a hole another six feet down and crawl down. Mm -hmm. And that's how bad despair is. You just, I didn't get out of bed, you know what I mean? There was a period of time when I, I woke up and I just didn't get out of bed for 12 hours because mm -hmm. I physically could not get out of bed. Yeah. I was so much in despair. Yeah. And that's where alcohol took me. And that's where alcohol will always take you because alcohol is a depressant. And, and I think maybe back to the part of the conversation about how it, it, it affects you developmentally, that you may have another person who might have experienced those things that wasn't an alcoholic would suffer and would feel great grief and loss. And know how to cope and handle be it. able to feel that. Uh -huh. Oh, exactly, it. exactly. You yeah. know how to cope and handle that. In your case, you go to despair and stay in bed. Yeah, I stayed in bed because I didn't know how, how to make and it handle it. And continue to drink. Yeah, because if it became hard, I drank. Yeah. So... So when it became hard with the, with the despair... And, and, let me, and let me just add right there, if it becomes hard, and since you're developmentally delayed, everything is hard. Pretty much so. so <laughs> Pretty much so. So if it's hard, you you're drink. drinking for so much. And if everything's hard, you drink over everything. <laughs> Pretty I much. Mean, that's, I, you know, I mean, yeah. You're right? in trouble. Yeah, it's a real vicious cycle. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did, you know you, did you know that alcohol was playing a part in it by this time? Yeah, but by that time, you know, when you're hit kind of a despair kind of thing and and alcohol was just the only thing I had. Yeah. And for me to give up alcohol was like to give up a friend. It was like to give up yeah. like something. Breathing. Yeah, it was like breathing. You know yeah. what I mean? It really hurt real yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. And the only reason that I actually finally did get sober is because um I was running low on money. And <laughs> surprisingly, <laughs> and, you do need money to drink. Yeah, and I was running low on money and I kept picturing myself living in the streets because both my parents were dead and I have two sisters but neither of them they're both married with children and you, so you they nowhere to go. I have nowhere to go yeah. I have nowhere to go and I was afraid that I was going to end up on the streets because I just I couldn't hardly work anymore yeah. you know I was having problems working did you go to treatment or did you um, I had gone to treatment um, 10 years earlier to save a relationship yeah. That same one that split up finally, yeah. I went, we were together for like two years and I went to treatment to save that relationship because I was going out partying and leaving, uh, leaving them at home. Oh. I left them at home. You're at home. So, um, yeah, I went to save the relationship and then when I started, I was sober for 40 days. Ten days out of the rehab, I was out drinking and doing drugs again. Right. You know what I mean? And, and they were there with me too. Yeah. You know? But the thing is, after treatment, you can't, I guess you can't say you don't know anymore. Well, you the, can, really, harder. the treatment, um, you have to find a good treatment center. And the treatment that I went through really taught me one thing, and that's just to go to meetings. Yeah. Really. I mean, basically, they'll, they'll tell you all sorts of stuff about the cycles in your brain and, and all the things that you're feeling and all that kind of stuff. But really, the only solution they give you is going to AA. And they work with a lot of the 12-step programs. And, and, you know, I've seen those commercials where they have people out there going, well, we just do, you know, a week long and then two week follow ups, you know, or or two weekend follow ups, and I'm like, going, really? And that's going to solve all the problems that yeah, you, but they have a that you built. Up. You built up these problems for 30 years, and you think this is going to solve them? I don't think so. Right. That two week follow up is not going to yeah. get me. Yeah. So it's if, a whole lifelong if it, process. If the word cure is in the air, you're in trouble right out. there. Run away. Yeah. Run away. Okay. So, so basically, so, so did you go back into treatment or did you, did no. you know to go to AA? No, I just went back out okay. again for another 10 years. Yeah. You know, and, and we then were this, But this time after despair, did you go to treatment again well, or did you go no, to... No, um, after I hit despair and I really, I spent a night out doing crystal meth and we were drinking Jack Daniels and doing crystal meth. 
and I had been up for so long, and, and I think every chemical in my brain was depleted. Mm-hmm. I had no more serotonin. I had no more dopamine. I had no <laughs> nothing. And everything was depleted, and I was just so washed out and, and burnt that I walked. I walked, oh, God, what was it? Five miles. I walked from uh, at least five or six miles to, um, to the Oaklawn uh, AA group. And I walked there every day for, for like two months. Every day at noon, uh, 11 o'clock I left because it took me about an hour to get there. And I would walk every day over that way because I had to have something else. All of a sudden I just got to a point where I just, I had to change. I was and, dying. And yeah. And I was really physically dying. Yeah. And you were able to, and your last drink was? My last drink was uh, October 20th, of, or it was October 19th of uh, 2001. Mm-hmm. So it's been about almost 13 years. Yeah. Yeah. And then that, so that should give you some pretty good perspective. So, so can we talk a little bit about, you, you mentioned that you'd had a second spiritual experience. Was that after you'd gotten sober or before? That was, most of my spiritual experiences besides, um, took place in that one little, that three-year period mm-hmm. because I was really looking for God. And I think that, that if, you, if you look for God, he'll look back. Yeah. You know, if you talk to him long enough, he's going to talk back to you. You know what I mean? It's just like any any person-to-person relationship. You know what I mean? If You've you're, ta- been, if you're talking, mean, he's going to talk back to you. You used, I think, I don't know if you used the word seeker or sought, but it seems to me like you, you've always been looking for something. And, and we've used, we t- used the word belonging, but more than just, it's more than just belonging to a group. It's more like belong, the bigger definition of the word belonging is really your, your connection with, with, with something bigger than yourself. You know, the thing is, it, is, it wasn't really a belonging thing for me in that way because my, no one came in and brought me to God. There was no one that I read a book and then mm-hmm. I, I started searching and doing things like that. But it wasn't really a belonging thing. There wasn't a group of people I was belonging with. Mm-hmm. It was just me and God. Mm-hmm. And so I was, looking, um, I was looking for some reality. I was looking for some truth in the whole thing. And so when I finally found it, or when God finally talked back to me, I went, this is real. This is true. Mm-hmm. I went to, an, I went to, started going to church, and I had an experience in church where um, we were singing, and I looked up at the, at the ceiling, don't know why, I just looked up at the ceiling, and it's like every little thing that was between me and God at that moment was taken away. It was like I was standing right next to him. And what I felt in that whole thing, and which I've hung on to for years, is that all I felt was love. And the love was so strong that it was pushing me down. Hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the one thing when I started, came back to AA again, when I started going back to AA, I remembered that love and I tried to base my God around that love. Because, as I told you earlier, really your first higher power when you're a child, when you're one and two years old, your first higher power is either your mother or father. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's your higher power and that's who you base your higher power on later on in life. When you become 12 years old and you think about this authoritarian, you know, God, mm-hmm. you think of your mother and father. I mean, the way they dealt with you is the attributes that you put to God. Right. And so, um, and so when it came down to it and all the things that I heard from a lot of preachers were, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. And my mother and father told me that if I did this, they would be happy with me. You know what I mean? If I did that, they would be happy. Or if I did that, I got in trouble. And you know, and happy means fine. you go to heaven. And, yeah, it's, and it's, it's means so you go heaven to hell. and hell. Yeah. yeah. So um, when I when I started forming my relationship again with God, I remembered that point where there was just total love that was knocking me on the floor. No judgment. And no judgment. No nothing. It was just total acceptance, total love, and was knocking me on the floor. It was the most amazing experience I've ever had. But the thing is, is that. That became my focus. Everything else around it got built. When I, when I, the old God that I had been um, living by and trying to, gosh, I was, I was trying to be acceptable to him. You know, I would have done anything. I, would, I understand how people cut off their hands, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I'm really trying to be accepted by you, and I'm really trying to do these things. But it's all... Do everything right. Yes, uh, yes, exactly. And I understand how they had holiness movements a long time ago, and the the people in their revival movements, and you know, I, we're trying to be righteous and holy, and and I understand that, but it just doesn't work. You know what I mean? There's there's no substance there. There's there's always I'm trying to meet up to you, and you're always chasing the banana. 
And God you know, loves you anyway. And God loves you anyways. And you just have to yeah. sit there and, and there's just nothing you have to do. He just loves you. Right. And that's a, that's a hard concept to come by. But that's the kind of concept that I, I had so to get rid of the old one. you had to make the shift from I had to make the righteous, shift. perfectionistic kind of yeah, but, mental God <laughs> to some other kind of... But the problem is, is that you, when you're raised in that kind of thing and you're raised with parents that, that tell you things, and yeah. it's, it's hard to get rid of. It, it's like underneath in the fibers. So how do you do fibers. I... I used a lot of the AA thing. Um, I went to AA meetings and I listened to other people talk and their fears and what they accomplished and, and the things that they went through in life. And I realized how that I, who, when I thought I was just a terrible person and I was really bad, these people were just, I was normal. Yeah. I realized the normalness that I had, that I was, while going to AA meetings. Because I, I listen to other people's fears. And people get really open in AA meetings. And they, I listen to their fears, and I listen to the things that they did. And when I started sponsoring people, I heard, you know, all their horrible things that they had done. And some of them did some horrible things, you know. But, I mean, and that's okay. And you know, so you because came we all have to that. some acceptance of yourself. I came to acceptance of me. I came to acceptance of, right. you know, I'm trying to be perfect, and I thought the rest of the world was perfect, and they're not. Is that, is that the same as loving yourself? It's the, the it's the beginning. It's the beginning of yeah. It's the beginning. You know. Yeah. It really you, is. You think you love yourself yet, or are you you're on the way? Uh, it's a lifelong process, love. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I'm accepting more of myself than I've ever been, yeah. and that's a real nice thing. Because if you don't carry around that burden on your shoulders of I'm not good enough, and I can't do it, and all that, it, it's it's so much it's so much easier just to walk down the street. And see what we're talking. You know, I mean, it's interesting to me because like. What we're talking about is so, so right now at this moment, what we're talking about is so far from whether or not I pick up a drink today mm -hmm. that it's sometimes hard for people to make the connection that this is what, this is what you, this kind of feeling of accepting yourself is what you can, you can have if I as can a result accept my, of that. If it's, I can accept yeah. myself, I don't need the alcohol to cover up. The, the part that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. starting to accept myself. Now, if somebody so. told you that when you were in, in your moments of despair or your, your months of oh. despair, and it's like, what are you talking about? Oh, hell no. Oh, no. No, never. No, you, never. So you had to do the through. other stuff first and go through the, yeah. go through the process. You did. But, you know, and, first uh, of all, first of all, it, it's, I, had to, I had to be desperate enough to make a decision to do something about it. And then once I did, made something to do something about it, it was funny when I went into an AA meeting, people talked to me and told me to come back. People dragged me out to go eat chicken with them after after a meeting, right. and it was just the the grabbing a hold. And somebody else was out there telling you, "This is what happened to me." Oh yes, I understand what you went through because I did this. You know what I mean? Right. And and you were no longer that person that. And those were all little loving acts. Yeah, you. you were, I'm really moments surprised. Of, moments of love. Yeah. I'm really surprised at how easy it is to to change someone's life. You really just acceptance and, and, and feeling love and, and a great hug from someone changes your life. Mm -hmm. You know, it really can. It puts you towards a, a better day and a happier day. And, and you know, yeah, I suppose yeah. If, if you can like me, I suppose I can too. You can smile at a stranger across the room. You can yeah. change their day. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. I've got a couple, I've got a couple things and then I think we probably will need to close. But one, one of the things I wanted to ask about was that I have heard that the, AA program talks about um, a spiritual solution. Is is that what we've been talking about? Pretty much so. A lot of it is. Yeah. Um, if I had to say about a spiritual solution, you know, AA doesn't really define a God that you're supposed to talk about or you're supposed to come to. He doesn't give you a religion that you're supposed to come to. You know what I mean? You kind of find your own. But the thing is, is that no matter which religion that you're going to, um, you have to get out there and believe in it, and you have mm -hmm. to work it through. And, and that's it, the spiritual solution. The part. spiritual solution is believing in something more than you. Yeah. Yeah. And that sounds like that was it was easy for you to do. Well, it's real easy when something something <laughs> that you believe in all of a sudden starts talking back to you. <laughs> I'm a Christian, and, and I believe all that, and yeah. I believe it's you know when they start talking back to you, you just can't, you can't just you know you can't okay. refute it. Okay. It's not refutable anymore. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. One last question, and then we'll close. And that, and that is, um, if if someone in the program, and I, and I imagine this has probably happened to you, a guy you sponsor or some people, somebody that you're talking to is struggling with the idea of a higher power or or, or a 
God or this, what, I, what we would call the spiritual part of the program, probably the, the steps two and three, what do you tell them? How do you, how do you help them with that? I help them from my experiences that I've already had. Um, when I'm relating to someone else, I, I always use my experiences. I tell them a lot about the time I was in church when I felt like the roof got ripped off and there was nothing between us mm-hmm. and how it was just love. And that was the whole relationship with God was just love. You know, I tell them that, that not to worry about what their relationship is with God. Just know that he loves you and you're just going to walk through it. That's how your higher power in the beginning. Your higher power grows later on. Yeah, you, know I mean? you don't have to think about it too Yeah, much. you don't have to think about just it. Just let it in. Just, let, just, just feel it. Just realize that God just wants you to be sober today. Right. And God just wants, you know, wants you to be happy and joyous and free. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good answer. That's really all you can do. And it will grow, and it will change. Well, I think um, that this has been a really good... Uh, I think we've, we've get, we, we kind of pulled it together the way I was hoping that we could. And, <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, we pulled it off somehow. I think I somehow we got we through. I don't know how we did it. I don't know. All the nervousness is... All the nervousness is just passed. And it's just, boom. <laughs> I think it was, a, it was probably a higher power thing. So, But thanks for, thanks for uh, coming on. Thanks for thanks asking for me. Doing it. Yeah, it was fun. It was and, fun. Uh, and then, you know... You'll get to you'll get to listen to it if you have the courage to listen to yourself. <laughs> right, I'll probably turn it off halfway through. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Recovery Internet Radio. Check us out at recoveryinternetradio.com for this show and all our archives. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you again next Sunday. <laughs>